Welcome to the 177th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Ben Tripp, author of the zombie thriller, Rise Again Below Zero. Stay tuned for the interview. And just a quick message before we start the show, Jim Kukral from the Author Marketing Institute contacted me and asked if I could tell you about a virtual event they're doing for authors starting on January 26. And the reason I'm mentioning, mentioning this is because I know that a lot of my listeners are uh, writers and authors or aspiring writers. Um, this event is called the Author Marketing Live, and it's an online event for authors. That means you don't have to travel to attend the event. You just log in and you can watch over 15 presentations from some best-selling authors and entrepreneurs. Some of the presenters will include Steve Scott, an author who earns over $60,000 a month with Kindle books, as well as fiction and nonfiction experts like Joel Kamm, Lewis Howes, and Peter Shankman. Also, Mark Coker, the CEO of Smashwords, is presenting as well. So you can check out the agenda and you can get your seat for only $99 to attend the uh, virtual event online. Again, you don't have to travel. This is an online event. Um, and I'm letting you know about this, as I said, because I know that a lot of the listeners are authors. So all you have to do is use the coupon code Jeff during checkout, and you can visit authormarketinglive.com. Again, again, that's authormarketinglive.com, and the coupon code is Jeff. And stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Ben Tripp, the author of the new zombie thriller novel, Rise Again, Below Zero, the sequel to his first novel, Rise Again. Ben, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Great. Well, can I have you read the first couple of pages from your new novel, Rise Again, Below Zero? I'd be happy to. By sheer coincidence, I have them right here. All right. Chapter one. You have the right to remain silent. In fact, I prefer it. Anything you say would be held against you in a court of law, except there isn't one. You would have the right to speak to an attorney, but we don't have those either. There ain't shit except me. Do you understand? Danny Edelman had the man face down against the pavement on the side of the road, his hands bound across his spine with a plastic zip tie. Her attention was divided, but she'd gotten good at multitasking since things went bad. The zeros were coming through the tall yellow grass, slow ones, moaners, dozens of them drawn out into the open by the burning wreckage, preceded by their long, sobbing cries of hunger. You can't kill me, he said. You're a cop. I didn't say I was going to kill you, Danny replied. She knew where he got the idea. Her short-nosed shotgun was jammed up under his left ear. I'm only judge and jury here, but the executioner is getting real close. She and the perpetrator had another minute at most. Then Danny was going to have to get to the Mustang Special Police Interceptor and bug out. The black smoke rising up out of the wreckage of the man's truck was shaped like a giant fist with one finger pointing down at the scene of the action. The perp wasn't going to be any more ready to talk than he was now. Time to get down to business. Tell me something, Danny said. Fuck you, he answered. He was burly-shouldered, stinking of sweat, his lank hair clinging to his skin in oily strokes. There was a deep, unhealed gash across his forehead. With patience she did not feel, Danny said, You tried to steal one of our children. Why? The man barked a laugh. You don't know? I guess not, if you're coming from the West. 
He wrenched his face into a mirthless grimace, trying to smile despite the asphalt against his teeth. Then he thought about breaking his nose. And you figure not telling me is going to be satisfaction enough for dying? Doesn't matter, you're going to kill me either way, he said. Tell me what I want to know and you'll get your hands back, Danny said. Even with that busted foot, you can probably make it out of here. Don't tell me, and I leave you just like you are. Maybe you can still get away, even with handcuffs on. You could last for days. Fuck you, the man repeated. And if you say that just one more time, we move on to option three. I break your other foot. You've got 15 seconds. The perp wasted 10 of them, weighing the alternatives. Then he said, I was trying to survive, okay? There's a bounty. One kid buys your passage to the safe place. Got to be under 12. Lots of people are doing it. Parents are turning in their own. And what happens to the kids? They go somewhere else, an even safer place. I hear they're happy there. Then why the hell didn't you just ask nicely? Danny saw there were tears running out of the man's red eyes and dripping on the tar. Because somebody stole my son, he said. I was taking him there, and this biker gang showed up, called the Vandal Reapers, and now he's gone. The man sobbed. Danny heard the grief, the real agony in his chest, and she knew he was telling the truth. For a few seconds, she listened to the man's sorrow hacking out of his chest, but the muzzle of her shotgun never wavered, and she did not relieve the weight of her knee upon his back. The nearest of the zeros was within 50 yards by now. It moaned with renewed urgency as it came closer, a big male. There was only death in the world now, living death that could walk and hunt and feast, and barbaric death from outlaws and madmen, death from the ruins of a shattered civilization, death from disease and festering wounds. Danny could leave this man to die or do something to help him. This man whose grief had made him crazy and convinced him to rush one of the tribe's caretakers, whose panic had led him to drop the child he'd grabbed and drive away at top speed. Danny's mind was racing. She was long past compassion for anyone who acted on behalf of chaos, even with the most personal of motives. But another man dead was another feeding for the zeros. Another pair of hands that could fight back against the dead would be lost forever, or might become one of the enemy. Get in the fucking car, she said. Great. Well, if some someone listening hasn't heard about Rise Again Below Zero yet, how, how would you describe the novel? Uh, well, it's it's kind of bleak, <laughs> but um, uh, other than that, no. It's uh, the the first book. Kind of, you have to you have to sort of know the first one, but it's um, the the first book looks at the unfolding of uh, kind of a zombie apocalypse, you know, and uh, which is usually the fun part <laughs> when we think everything's normal and then everything falls apart. Um, and uh, I never I never get enough of that. Uh, but then uh, when you look beyond that. It just turns into these sort of, you know, these individual tales of survival where people are just muddling along trying not to be dead. And I was interested to see what kind of structures people would form, what kind of uh, communities they'd form trying to survive in a situation like that that's so fluid and so dangerous. Because, uh, you know, we we did it during ice ages. We did it when there were, you know, <laughs> cave bears around <laughs> and saber-toothed tigers. So... I looked at that and tried to figure out, well, how would we be? And unfortunately, because my faith in humanity is uh, is uh, not complete, I, um, uh, it occurred to me we'd probably not behave very well. And so this book examines that. Sure. 
Well, well, I know that that zombies continue to be popular uh, motif in popular culture. Uh, what what was it about zombies that intrigued you when you started working on your first novel, Rise Again, and now the sequel, Rise Again Below Zero? Well, I've I've always loved. Uh, I saw Night of the Living Dead when I was a little too young, and uh, it was a sixteen millimeter print, you know, like in a gymnasium kind of setting, and and uh, you know you could hear the projector rattling away and everybody's making out and there was noise and things being thrown, but it didn't matter. Uh, everything fell silent and nobody looked away when the mayhem started in that movie. And, uh, we, I, I never forgot that feeling of watching the world fly out of control like that. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote, uh, I originally wrote, uh, rise again as a, as a script for a TV series. Uh, but you know, the studios just said, look, man, there's, Zombies will never appear on television. Um, I, I cough politely. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the um, I, I thought, geez, you know, I'd really love to do something with this. So I decided I'd try writing a novel uh, and uh, made a novel out of it. And uh, Below Zero was really almost, um, it's like an amalgamation of a couple of seasons worth of uh, stories that I'd worked out. That's great. So uh, had that been the first time that you had taken one of your scripts and turned it into a novel? Yeah, I'd, I'd had a go at writing novel-length stuff before, uh, but I think it really helped to have the script functioned like a 100-page outline uh, and got a lot of the thinking done for me, so it was a lot easier to get through the book. Um, and then uh, fr from there on, it was... It was uh, you, you know, once you've done it once, it's not as insurmountable looking. Sure, sure. To do it again, and and I know that I know that from from research that you that you have um, worked as a screenwriter and written a lot of um, uh, screenplays and scripts. How does that compare to to writing novels, or is it just a completely different medium in in your opinion? Well, it's kind of the difference between a I don't know a haiku and an epic poem. You know, uh, screenplays are. You spend most of your time with screenplays taking words out. Uh, you want them to be as short and, and con concise and in the, the briefest strokes possible. And with a, with a novel, obviously, you're going inside people's heads and you're, you're, you have so much more time and room to explore. Uh, so it's, it's, I actually think novels may be easier in that regard because you, uh, you're not constantly having to remove stuff so somebody else can do it later. Right. And um, do you have a preference at this point? I mean, it, it sounds like you, you, may, you may prefer novels to, to screenplays. Uh, for my own writing, I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a movie fanatic. I, sure. you know, I have a storage problem with movies at this point. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have to say, I really, I prefer the novels. Um, I've got, a, I've got a, a fantasy coming out, um, actually, in a few months. And uh, in that one, uh, I was talking to Warner Brothers about about a movie adaptation, and they they said, "Well, would you like to write the screenplay?" And I hadn't even, it hadn't even occurred to me. <laughs> I said, "No," you know. And uh, I don't know. Ten years ago, I'd have I'd have cut my own arms off for that opportunity. Sure. So I guess sure. my my thinking's evolved. 
Well, well, I know that uh, a lot of writers have had interesting um, backgrounds and interesting career paths, but but I do think that 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 you know you are unique in having a, a very interesting career in in designing public experiences. And from what I understand, that that's you know theme parks and urban environments. What 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 kind of led you from that career as a designer to writing you know fiction and screenplays? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah, it's kind of a shaggy dog story. I'll try to, <laughs> I'll, I'll cut out most of it and just give you the salient bit. Basically, uh, I got recruited by Disney. I was a house painter uh, living on the island of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. And I got recruited by Disney to come out and uh, be a theme park designer because somebody had happened to see my portfolio at my parents' house. <laughs> so, you know, this is the wild, the wild 80s. Anything could happen. And, uh, and what was so that a portfolio of? What was that a portfolio? I, just just art, you know, because I'm I'm actually a I'm a artist by training, not oh, a writer. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, you know, in the theme park design world, that's I'm known primarily uh, for for pictures. Um, and uh, so I, I came out here, and my plan was I was going to write movies, so then I could direct them, uh, because I was, you know. 20. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, I quickly found out I wasn't going to be doing that. Uh, but I did eventually get into the writing. Um, but it was a hobby, really. Um, you know, just and the, the screenwriting stuff. Sometimes I did that most of the time, and most of the time I didn't. Uh, but nothing ever got produced. Uh, it was a lot of rewrites and under-the-table stuff and all that other kind of messy stuff that goes on in Hollywood. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very f fulfilling. The only people who read anything were executives, you know, it didn't get made. So it was sort of, you know, it quickly became clear I'd have to figure out something better to do. But yeah, meanwhile, I was popping all around the world, uh, designing cities and theme parks and museum exhibits and casinos, <laughs> you know, anything else that had people flowing through it. Um, and that, you know, obviously that's, uh, that itself would have been a perfectly satisfactory life to lead, but I'm happy to be writing. That's great. So, so what is your what is your writing process like? Given that you that you were a screenwriter, do you when you when you were working on Rise Again Below Zero, did you plot and plan the the novel extensively before you began? Yeah, I always I always do that. Uh, it's it's a habit that comes from uh, screenwriting actually, because with a script, uh, commission script, you don't you don't do anything until you've got a treatment, you know, a synopsis and a treatment and an outline in uh, ascending order of size. And, uh, you know, um, you, you sort of, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, treatment's the big one. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you've got a 50 page treatment for a hundred page script, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's you're all you're doing is really expanding dialogue and you've got it. So it's a lot easier, I think, when you're writing a novel to kind of know, at least to have signposts along the way. You know, by by around here, they need to be in this situation. And um, I also usually write the end first, because then it's like a little tiny light off on the horizon, and I can just sort of head for it. That you can name for? Yeah, and sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I end up somewhere else, and the little light goes out, you know, but... But uh, in the case of uh, Rise Again, for example, uh, I wrote the last two pages, I think, at least a year and a half before I uh, uh, wrote the rest of the book. Wow. 
Well, well, I know that you you mentioned earlier you have a fantasy novel coming out in a, a few months, and I know it hasn't been published yet. But can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, just before we started talking, I was designing a promotional poster for it. That's that's uh, different because I'm illustrating it as well. Um, it's uh, it's a fa- 18th century fantasy. I'm, I'm calling it Baroque punk because <laughs> uh, why not? And uh, it's uh, takes place in a world with magic in it. Uh, it's got fairies and goblins and you know much mayhem and all that sort of things. A lot of riding of horses and rescuing. Everybody gets rescued at some point. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's it's really just a lot of it's sort of a fun romp after a uh, a long and bleak session with the undead. That's great. Um, and what's the, what, what's the title? Uh, that is the accidental highwayman. Great, uh, and uh, which the main character is. Um, there's some concern that uh, nobody would know what a highwayman was. You know, a, a robber on the roads, and I was, uh, I despair. <laughs> Go look it up <laughs> and buy the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you you mentioned earlier that you're a movie fanatic. What what movies in the last several years have have made an impression on you, and that that you would uh, recommend? Well, that's an interesting question. We, uh, my wife is a, uh, a screenwriter as well. She mostly television, and uh, she gets all the screeners. Uh, so we get the, you know, we get a big stack of movies that haven't been released yet, and we we watch them all. And um, they're really different before you see the publicity. Uh, <laughs> they're they're not as good usually. Um, I, I think I, I think there's a real blockbuster problem in in. Uh, L.A. at the moment, where every movie's got to be a tentpole or nothing. Uh, so most of the stuff I'm really liking is like, uh, uh, you know, international stuff. Korea, uh, South Korea is producing all kinds of interesting movies all the time. Um, I can't, I can't think of any specific sure, examples because sure. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they're recent. <laughs> I watch yeah, them whenever yeah. they hit my radar. Uh, France is doing some interesting stuff. The Intouchables was a very interesting movie. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be genre material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I think the genre is getting to be a problem because it, it used to be, oh, you're making a fantasy movie. Well, we'll give you half as much money. You know, and so ingenuity became a factor. Uh, but now it's like uh, if it's a genre movie, they just they, they back the dump truck up to it and pour money into it. And uh, I, I think that almost kills the creative process. So, you know, like something like Gravity was wonderful, but it's mm-hmm. actually a tiny little movie. Sure, sure. You know, there's almost nobody in it, you know, and it's it's got a very narrow scope despite its huge views, you know. Right, right. Uh, so, so, so how I, much? I <clears throat> go ahead. Sorry, I said go ahead. I oh uh, no, I was just saying that uh, uh, I think most of my interest in movies these days is I'm sort of retrospectively looking through world cinema all over the place. Uh, I've been on a Bollywood jag lately. Um, and the, the funny thing about India is they, they produce so many movies, they, you know, 30 times as many movies as we do, uh, of which most are incredibly bad, but they're incredibly bad in the most awesome ways because they have songs and action and romance and all this other stuff. It's like, <laughs> at least there's something new every 25 seconds. Sure, sure. So, so how much how much reading do you do? Are are there books or authors that that um that you've read that that impressed you or that that you know have inspired you? 
Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, was it Gillian Flynn? Or Gillian Flynn, I'm not sure how to pronounce uh, Gone Girl and things like that. Her writing is so good that I can't read it if I'm writing <laughs> because it influences the way I write. Sure. Uh, you know, and I, huge influences on me were all the, you know, the sort of escapist folks you'd expect, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and uh, Madeline Long and all those kind of people, um, you know, the Earthsea trilogy and things like that. Uh, gotcha. But also for literary stuff, uh, I enjoy old literary type material, you know, Tom Jones and Fielding, all that kind of stuff, Dickens, because it's a window into another world. You know, that's time travel, and that's pretty cool. Sure, sure. Well, um, if someone's interested in finding out about more about you or about your books, where can they find you online at? Uh, well, I have a writing blog, um, which... Uh, uh, God help me if I can remember the URL, but it's, um, it's, uh, that's fine. Uh, I, I can have a link to it in the show notes. People can check that out. <laughs> well, it's, it's the only blog name left. Uh, and that's where I write. I've got an art blog that I haven't updated in quite a while, which is the greatest artist in the world. Um, uh, be, I, I was feeling modest that day. Uh, but I haven't updated it because I've been working on, uh, book illustrations, uh, which I can't publish. Uh, because someone else is going to publish them. Uh, and uh, uh, I think those are my, my main presences. And there's a Rise Again fan page on uh, Facebook as well. Great, great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Ben Tripp, author of the new zombie thriller Rise Again Below Zero. The book is in bookstores now or available as an ebook. so go grab a copy. Ben, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save 